Let's turn together to Psalm 63. Really, that, that song pushes us so perfectly into, uh, into a text like this. And um, this past week, um, there was a beach retreat, beach trip that the college ministry goes on every year. And we spend a good bit of time in this text. And I'd been stirring in it for a while prior to that. And really felt like bringing it to the table tonight was what God has for us. And so, one of the things that is important to keep in mind with, uh, with a lot of things pertaining to uh, Christianity is that, that really there isn't any part of our faith that the relationship uh, is vacuumed out of. You know, there's nothing mechanical about our faith. It's, we're relational. And the reason that like relationship is so central is because God, in His own being and essence, He is a community. So we, we have one God who exists in three distinct persons, Father, Son, Spirit. And each of them are fully God, but they have their own personalities and uh, you know, functions and that kind of stuff. And so God... like. People sometimes refer to it as like the Godhead or whatever, but God is a community in and of himself. And so to be made in the image of God, which we believe that all humans are, means that we are made in that, like we're wired up to have relationships because we're made in our, the image of God who is a relationship, a community. And so he's put us together, not only so we can kind of navigate through life and that kind of stuff, but it's a part of of how he chose to make us. It's a part of how we look like him, is that we are relational. Um, in our relationships with one another, sometimes things happen that, that create distance between us. It doesn't ever happen with God. There isn't distance in the Trinity. But for us, who are dealing with the impact that sin has had on the world, there are, are times when, there are, when we, just, we miss people. And sometimes it's for, you know, it's for... Perfectly good reasons, and other times it's for you know less than happy reasons and stuff like that. But um, let me just give you a few examples. Uh, a few days ago, on the like, some people love this app called Time Hop, and it you know it brings back like anything you've put on social media in the last few years. It tells you like on this date you put this brilliant statement on Facebook or this gorgeous picture of yourself or whatever, you know. So some people love it there because it just brings back all these memories. Every time I look at Time Hop, I'm like, why do I, why do I have friends at all? I just cannot believe. There's, there's, every time I look at it, I cringe because I'm like, this is going to remind me of the time I thought it was so funny to put this on Twitter. Um, but something that, that happens from time to time on Time Hop is there's a pic- picture of Jonathan Wilmore pops up. And the thing about time hop is you don't you know you're you just show like one day you can't scroll forward or backwards or whatever and so you never really know and when those pictures pop up uh, I'm not really always ready to see that and if you don't know who Jonathan Wilmore is he was a huge part of our church for a long time and he passed away a few years ago and um, just one of the just one of those people you know he's just one of those people and when I see those pictures of him it just it makes me miss him so much. And sometimes you go places and it reminds you of him or someone says something or someone tells a story or whatever. And so there are just times when you miss Johnny B, as he was known. Um, But 
I say that to basically use him to kind of a, a more broad category. There are people who have passed away that, that, that you, you really do miss them. Those significant relationships and you miss them. Um, there are other situations when people move away. You know, I, I made a statement a couple months ago about how uh, just the nature of our church and being in Baton Rouge means that you're never, you're never really sure who you're working with. And what I meant by that, and I should have explained it a lot better, is that Baton Rouge is not a permanent home for everyone. So you have people who come through and they're part of your, your family for a while, and then because of school or jobs or you know, God taking them other places, you know, they kind of move on. And so um, we're just kind of used to welcoming new folks in and then saying goodbye to people. You know? uh, let me throw out a few names. Um, Jonathan Lindsay Hager. Remember them? Yeah. Brandon and Kate Hayes. Uh, both of those couples are in Nashville. I hate Nashville. They take all, they take all the people. Um, Rodney and Cabrini, Sutherland. Uh, just saying their names, you know. Like, we were on the beach trip and someone said something about Rodney. And someone was like, who's Rodney? I was like, oh, no. It's true. He's really, he's really in Michigan. Okay. Um, what about Dave Solberg? Dave Solberg. Um, Somebody asked me about him the other day, and someone was like, hey, you know a guy named Dave Solberg? And I was like, yes. Is it, tell, tell me something about him. Is he coming back? And they're like, no, he's not. So that made me sad. But people who have, have moved away, they live other places, and you, you miss them because they're not, they're not here with us. You know? They're not in our community groups. They're not hanging out with us in different points. You know? and, uh, and so sometimes that's the kind of missing from those relationships. It doesn't even have to be anything bad. They just moved, and that's... You know, that's just kind of part of it. Um, and then there are those that you just kind of drift away from. You know, people who you used to be really close with, and it's not even that anything happened. You just lost touch over the years. Or um, sometimes it's those, those relationships that have been fractured somehow, you know. But one of the things about us being made by God as relational beings and living in the world that's broken by sin, it means that uh, sometimes those relationships become distant and you just miss people. There's, it's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's kind of beautiful, actually, that people mean so much to us that sometimes you sit around and you're like, man, I just miss them, you know? The Bible is very clear that um, God created and redeemed us out of love. And so everything we do, we live driven by this faith that is based in love, and the God of the universe wants a relationship with you. And so the the, let's, if we're thinking horizontal versus vertical, horizontally we have these relationships with people and over time we become close to them and that kind of stuff or whatever and you love them and when people, when people are gone for a number of reasons we miss them. The same thing can happen vertically. That there are times when your relationship with God uh, becomes very distant feeling. And, and I'm going to use that word feeling a lot because it just it feels like he's far away. We know that he's not. Theologically, God is, is not far away from us. But there are times when emotionally it feels that way. Because of circumstances, it feels that way. Um, and that can be a really difficult thing. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says that, like goes through this whole list, basically says there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. And so God is... He's just as present in this room right now as he is in heaven. You know, he's not, he's not rolling it like a 60% present with us, you know, but in heaven it's 100%. No, it's 100% all the time. We just 
we're, we miss it a lot, you know. We're not aware of it all the time. And, you know, that's, what, that's a part of why corporate worship is so special for us is that it, it helps you become aware of the nearness that's there, you know. Um, when things get crazy, just like when you miss old friends, it's very possible to feel that God is very far away. And sometimes you don't really know even how that happened, and you a lot of times aren't even sure what to do about it. And you feel like it's just been a while since you've seen him. And that can feel really strange. So let's maybe learn from our old buddy David here in this psalm. Because I think he can, uh, that through, this, through the text, God will give us some insight. But start, look at verse 9 to begin with. It says, but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him uh, shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. All right. So this psalm, the first eight verses are so, they're just beautiful and challenging. And it takes this weird turn at the end. You know, he's like, everybody who's against me is going to die, you know. And a very violent death and jackals are going to like, you know, devour their corpses. You know, is basically what he's saying. Um, so why, what's going on here that makes him so aggressive, that makes him so confident that God will uh, rescue him, that God will have justice against those who are opposed to him? If, if you look at the, at the top of the psalm, perhaps in your Bible, it may say something like this. A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. One of the things to keep in mind about the psalms is that uh, they are they're songs or poems that are written. Uh, not all of them are by David, but most of them are. And they all have like a setting. They all have a reason. And so there's all this stuff going on in David's life that, uh, that helps inform the psalms. So this one, they're kind of they're, there's some debate about uh, what's going on in his life that is making him write this, and there's kind of two options. And rather than choosing one, let me just kind of tell you what they both are, and you'll kind of get an idea of, of what's going on. Um, in at one point, he is on the run from Saul, who is trying to kill him. Uh, David is the chosen king. And Saul feels threatened by this, and so uh, Saul is, is pursuing him, and he's running, David's basically running for his life in the wilderness. This is before he is king. The other one, uh, that's in 1 first, in first Samuel. In 2 Samuel, we see uh, someone named Absalom, who is uh, basically trying to overthrow David. The weird part is that Absalom is David's son, and so his son is like trying to lead this coup to take over and become the king. And David has fled the city with, with a bunch of people, and they're getting out of Jerusalem because Absalom's about to take it. And so, uh, so twice in his life, he's been on the run from people who were trying to kill him. Once it was Saul, uh, once it was his own son, Absalom. So we're not really sure which one, but that's what he's talking about, about those who are like in pursuit of his life. Um, the belief is that David is God's chosen king. And so to be against David is really to be against God's plan. And so there's more to, more to it than that. That's why David is so um, driven toward justice on this, is because he doesn't just see it as, oh, people, people hate me and that makes me sad. It's like, no, people hate God and they're trying to, they're trying to ruin God's plans and that's just not going to stand. So at the end of the psalm, that's kind of what he's talking about. When he begins the psalm, though, there's something that... that we probably struggle to understand a little bit because we are on this side of 
the cross, basically. On the other side of the cross, in the Old Testament, worship and the presence of God was contained to a place. So we come into this, this building, and it is just, it's a building, you know. Um, God doesn't live here. Um, I, I, it drives me crazy when, uh, I don't know if, if you watch church on TV, but sometimes I do. And uh, people are like, uh, let's take a minute and welcome everyone to the Lord's house today. You know, it's like, no, he doesn't live here, you know. Is it his building? Yes, but all the buildings are his, you know. Uh, God doesn't live here necessarily. God's presence is everywhere. But in the Old Testament, God lived in what they would call the sanctuary or in the tabernacle until the temple was built in Jerusalem. And so the presence of God was with the Ark of the Covenant and those kinds of things. And so everything was, um, while we know now that God was everywhere, His presence would manifest in a really special way when the people were gathered for worship. So the Old Testament, there was nothing more important than the sanctuary and the Ark of the Covenant. And when the temple was built, the temple, uh, they were very much, we need to go to this place in order to worship. Now, on the New Testament, on this side, we know we can, we can worship anywhere. You know, we're, we're one of those weirdo churches that meets in not a building, in a building that isn't theirs, at a time that isn't very typical. And the truth is, it doesn't matter when we meet or where we meet. We could gather at any point, and it's fine, because the presence of God is always in fullness so there's a, a uniqueness we need to understand before we get into this. I know I'm covering a lot of ground, but it's important to kind of understand what's going on. So David is running for his life, and he has left Jerusalem, which is where the presence of God, the glory of God, is, is, the, is uh, the most manifest for him. It's where worship happens. And for him, there's this distance that is created because of that. He's far from God. He's like far from the sanctuary. He's running for his life, and all the circumstances are falling down around him. Now, you and I might not be able to relate to, to the, the physical proximity aspect of why things are difficult, like in the Old Testament. But I think we can all relate to the fact that sometimes our circumstances, the things going on in our lives, are so difficult and overwhelming and distracting and consuming that it's very easy to feel like God has left you. It's very easy to feel like you are all on your own, that he doesn't really care very much. It's very easy to assign meaning to those feelings that we have in those kind of situations. And I know that some of you are probably there right now. Some of you may be coming out of that time. Some of you may be headed into that time. But the thing is, when that's where you are, when you look around your life, And you're like, where in the world is Jesus right now? That's a dark place to be. And that's where David is. He's on the run. And so he expresses this. Let's look at the first two verses. He expresses this this pain in very specific ways. Verse 1. He says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there's no water. What he's saying here is that he, he's desperate for the manifest presence of his God. Like someone in a desert who's desperate to find water. Who's physically faint, who's weak. Whose number one priority is to, like, is to find a water source. 
He's comparing that. And probably because of what it says that this is why he's in the wilderness, he's probably doing one of those things where he looks around his life, you know, and he's like, yeah, this is exactly how I feel. The same way I long for water, uh, except only a billion times more. I'm longing for my God. And I don't know how you can, if you can connect to that where you are right now, but uh, there are times when we all experience that. Where you just, you just miss God. Like that's the feeling. That's how you would have to describe it. it. It feels like you're searching and searching and searching and you can't find Him. Just like if you're in a desert trying to find uh, and some oasis somewhere and you're just you're scared, you're frustrated, you're tired, you just want to you know, give up, whatever. That's where David is. He, he misses the Lord kind of like we miss people like Johnny B sometimes. Verse 2. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. He's, he's remembering those times when he's in the sanctuary, and the presence of God is so obvious and real and tangible, and he's longing for that. He's, he's, he misses that corporate worship time. He misses, like in the Old Testament, when it talks about the glory of, the, of God showing everywhere, it's, it's saying that that's how they're describing when the presence of God is so thick, you can just cut it with a knife. You know, it's, it's, it's that kind of stuff. So he's longing for that. He's far from the sanctuary. He's far from his God. And it's terrible. It's just terrible. He's confident in the faithfulness of God. But man, he misses him. To be away from the manifest presence of God is exhausting to David. Now, I believe that before we go on to the next couple of verses, I think we need to look at those first two verses and let ourselves be challenged by a love like that. Be challenged by a love for the Lord. Where he's like, man, I feel so distant from him. I'm like, I'm like in the middle of the desert. And I'm looking, and I'm looking, and I'm looking. I don't know. That might be how you live all the, you know, all the time. You know, like you're, you, I, I don't know. But I know for myself, and probably for some of you as well, that it's, it's easy to distance yourself from the Lord in that relational sense. Little by little by little. And sometimes not even realize it. You know, there's this, this verse in the story of Samson where it says that, that the Spirit of God left him and he didn't even know it. Um, now, the Spirit of God doesn't leave you. You're in Christ. You're a new creation. You're, you're safe and secure. But sometimes it feels that way. And it's not that God has left you. It's that you have left Him. You know? the, problem, the problem in the, in the God-you relationship is never God. God-me relationship, it's never, it's never God. It's always me. And so I think that we should be challenged by that kind of love. It's like a branch being ripped away from the vine. And it's like, oh my goodness, this is not, this is not good. And it feels like he's smothering. So I think we should be challenged by the fact that David doesn't half-heartedly love the Lord. We don't know how far away, I mean, how long he's been in the wilderness at this point when he writes it. But I don't want to be the kind of disciple, the kind of child of God, the kind of 
son, the kind of pastor, the kind of friend who just is half-hearted to the point where it's like, oh, I don't know, I kind of feel distant from God, but it's no big deal. These first two verses in the psalm, are, they're kind of dramatic, you know? You're kind of like, whoa, David's kind of over the top a little bit. Or is he just really sincere? I don't know. So perhaps that's the, that's the point of the psalm for you. you know, maybe that's what grabs a hold of you, is that kind of earnest love. Maybe you look at that and you're like, I don't love the Lord like that. The truth is, we need to be honest about the times when, when our intimacy with God, like that relationship, that closeness with God, is not what it needs to be, what it should be. We have to remember that it's in, inside the kingdom, it's perfectly safe to be honest about that. Like, it's not, there's nothing weird about that. We have to get to that, the point where we're honest with one another. Um, it's part of why we structure our community groups the way that we do. You know, we talk about commandment number one, and um, I know that a lot of times when we talk about, okay, well, how, you know, how's your relationship with the Lord? And the answer goes to, like, other stuff. But we have to continue to have the courage to say, I don't know, I've, I've, I've been distancing myself from him on purpose. Or I feel like he's far away, or it's getting better, or it's getting worse, or it's getting, you know, whatever, that, those kinds of things. We have to be honest. The thing is, when you're missing a person... There are things that you do to, to cope with that. So, like, take, you know, Johnny B. So, for me, in times when I'm missing him, I'll go look at pictures, you know, and I'll think about him fondly, you know, like, I'll just, like, remember, like, oh, man, one time he did this, and it was just the craziest thing I've ever... There's this story about, there was a, this hawk, uh, and this, the hawk had, like, flown in, it had dropped a squirrel in the, in the bushes, and it was, like, wanting to get it out, but there were people nearby, and so it's, like, this triangle of, like, Squirrel, hawk, Johnny B, basically. And, and there's a group of people, but let's make this about Johnny B. So he's standing there, and it's like in this like standoff type deal. And we were waiting for the hawk to swoop in and get the squirrel. We're all waiting patiently, except for Wilmore, who decides to charge at the hawk to get him to move. And uh, he runs at the hawk, and we like just like, grab him and like keep him from getting mauled by the hawk or whatever. And it was just awesome. And So those like, stories like that that I think about it, that's a part of how I cope with missing him, you know. Um, we'll tell those stories, we'll laugh about things, and there are times when that's, that's how you cope with it. There are times when you cry, there are times when you laugh, there are just times when that's how you cope with, with that distance. With, with friends, I mean, the other day I was, I was thinking about Rodney, and I miss him, and I called him. You know, we live in this beautiful day and age, and we can do that. Or you can, you can FaceTime with people, and you can text with people, and there's like, those kinds of things that you can do when, to cope with that missing so what do you do when the one that you're missing is like the God of the universe? What do you do when Jesus is the one that you're like, you know who I really miss? Jesus. Well, I, I'll tell you one thing that you don't do is you don't just sit there and pout about it. We don't sit there and just be like, yeah, it sure would be nice if Jesus would you know, do his job. Passivity never leads to fruitfulness. Ever. You'll never find a fruitful life, someone who sits around and does nothing. So, in the times when you are missing a person, there are steps that you can take. Even, even in the most dire of, of situations, there are steps you can take to cope with missing them. 
when it's the Lord that, that you feel like you're, is distant or you're distant or however you want to word that or whatever, um, there are things that you can do. But remember, you'll never, that fruit will never come from you just sitting by passively. Look, what, look at what David does. Look at verse 3. He doesn't just sit in it and pout. He takes the bull by the horns. And look at all the, all the action words that we see in these verses. Because, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. In, in 3 through 8, there are these, these action words that I pulled out. One is praise, bless, lift up his hands, meditate, remember, cling. He doesn't just sit back and be like, man, I sure hope this changes soon. He's like, no, he actively engages in the things that are going to uh, reconnect. I know that the sanctuary is far from that, okay? But what is he basically describing? He's describing worship. He says, I'm going to worship. In the desert, I'm going to worship. Feeling far away from you, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm still going to praise you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to thank you. I'm going I'm to remember you. I'm going to meditate on you. I'm going to do all the things that I need to do in order to be reminded of your faithfulness. And let you know where it all comes from? Look at the beginning of verse 3. Because your steadfast love is better than life. I'm going to do all these things. That is the, that is the springboard, that is the launch pad for all those acts of worship. Because, you're, because your steadfast love is better than life, I'm taking the bull by the horns. I'm going to be an, an active participant in this relationship with you. He does all these things, and look at the, look at the end of verse 8. Well, he says, in verse 8 it says, My soul clings to you, and your right hand upholds me. It says, Because your love is better than life, I'm going to do all these things, and you know what you're going to do? You're going to just uphold me. You're going you're gonna to be my God. That's what's going to happen. And so for us, in some ways it, it, it probably seems redundant perhaps when you look at the last couple of months. But what we do is we confess, you know, when we don't love, the, when we're like, I'm just not there. All right, we'll start there. Confess. Analyze it. For David, he says, because your steadfast love is better than life. So you sit down with the Lord and you're like, okay, what, what in life am I, is, is more valuable to me than you are? What am I really convinced is better than you? And it could be relationships. It could be stuff. It could be, there's all these things it could be. But what, what is it? God will show you. He'll be the, there, nobody will point out your own idol faster than God. Uh, it's this. 
You think that this is better than life instead of me being better than life. And so you confess it and you analyze that. And then, yes, you intentionally follow Jesus into his own practices and put yourself in the pathway of grace. The disciplines, all these things that are there, we worship. The church gathers every Sunday. Why, why, give us, why give us a regular rhythm of that kind of gathering? Because God knows that when the people come together and you're forced, so to speak, all right, gently, and you're encouraged, I should say, to stand and begin to sing, you know what happens? Uh, some things start to sync up. That feeling of distance, it starts to lessen and lessen and lessen. And maybe the conviction gets heavier or whatever, but that's fine. The thing is, we don't just sit back and do nothing. And I think that going all the way back to January, when we started going through the beginning of, of the book of Acts, and into the 30 days of prayer, and through a whole, kind of a stretch of disciplines and different things, and Ringo talking about joy, and Jake talking about godliness, and all these things syncing up, I think that God has been just kind of sending this really steady, loving message of get to work. Get to work. God is not opposed to our efforts. He loves our efforts. Dallas Willard says the effort is ours, the outcome is his. What a great way to live. And so I believe that this is going to kind of bring this whole semester to a close, this, this kind of idea. And I don't know where, where it meets you, but I, if you don't love the Lord, that's not going to change by sitting back and doing nothing. As I said, passivity never produces fruitfulness. God loves you just for being you. He'll be honored by those efforts. He's so, he's so filled with joy when, we, when, when the things he's told us to trust him with, we actually trust him. We follow him into that and we obey him and we go for that. And so I, I don't know where it fits in with you, but I, I hope that you feel drawn out because his steadfast love is better than life. It's better than anything that is distracting us that we're putting before it. It's better than any sort of emotion or feeling or circumstance or anything that's, that's out there. His steadfast love is better than everything in life. And from that, we worship and we sing and we encourage and we support and we study and we serve and we love Him and we love one another. We do all this stuff and what does He do? He's up, he upholds us with His right hand. It's beautiful. So, uh, we're just going to sing a little bit. And we're going to close in a few minutes with, um, with our summer missionaries. We're going to commission them at the, at the end. But we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to sing. And I would encourage you to sing no matter if you feel like it or not. Just, who cares? Okay? Let's just assume that attitude. Who cares if you feel it or not? Okay? Just sing and sing and sing. And see what God does with our acts of worship. Let's stand together. God, thank you for, uh, for a very honest psalm like this one. 
Thank you that your um, your faithfulness to David was something that he could he learned to be able to count on. That he was he was surrounded by circumstances that uh, it'd be easy to doubt you and to run away. But he he had he he knew you. I mean, he loved you. And it led to him earnestly seeking and being desperate for you and responding to you and worshiping you and meditating and remembering and praising and blessing. And God, I ask that you would just that you would continue what you've begun in us to make us into the kind of people who who live the same kind of way. That as you know, life gets weird and difficult and distracting. Would you help us to be the kind of folks who are like, yeah, things are weird right now, but because your steadfast love is better than life, I'm going to sing, I'm going to study, I'm going to pray, I'm going to trust, I'm going to encourage, I'm going to reconcile, I'm going to, I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to give, I'm going to, I'm going to love. And maybe God, maybe just by singing these songs that are that are known to us, maybe that will unlock some things for us. I'm going to pray especially for those who are in dark places right now, who, who can really relate to feeling that distance from the Lord. God, will you use this time to encourage them and bless them.